This is the Secrets We Share podcast, a show about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, and the left and rights of mental health care in Australia. Here's your host, Francis Carlton. Welcome to Secrets We Share, brought to you by Secret Keeper Counselling, where we talk all things mental health with clients and clinicians. There may be tears, laughter, triggers, some learning and some profanity. So you've been warned now, make yourself a cup of tea, sit back and relax as I talk to Dawn from Canberra about her life with mental health. Welcome, Dawn. Hi, Francis. Hi. <laughs> I'm sorry about the dog. <laughs> <laughs> so we have this beautiful, beautiful dog called Princess with us today. She has her own issues. Tell yes. me about tell me about Princess's issues. Princess is a rescue dog from four years ago. She was only going to stay here for about six weeks. She was a failed fighting bait dog who was handed back into animal services. Uh, she's been through five homes by the time I got her. And... Um, I got her off Facebook, actually, uh, from a very nasty Scottish man. And, uh, yeah, my son asked me to rescue her and four years later she's still here. Mm. But she's got social anxiety. Um, she she lived under our kitchen table for the first three weeks. Mm. And, yeah, but she has been, she's brought joy to our family as a rescue mutt. She's very, she's very sooky but so soft. Oh, yeah. That's her, yeah, one like, of her saving graces. Yeah, she's... But short-haired dogs, they just shed everywhere. It's yes. A, yeah. I have a short-haired dog, so yeah. I get it. It's amazing oh. how much hair a chihuahua can produce. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Princess each month produces her her weight probably in hair. Yeah, yeah. But so. she's very, very loving and very much a therapy dog for you. Oh, very much so. She's helped me through some very hard times in the last few, in those last four years mm. considerably. Mm. Uh, looking after aged parents and then um, the palliative care and end of life. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Tell me a little bit more about you as a carer. Well, I've been a carer from a very young age. Um, I probably my earliest memory is probably from about five years of age. So I had two parents um, who, well, one with a um, borderline personality disorder, which we would now know it as. Mm. Uh, and my mum is a manic depressive or bipolar type one. Mm. So um, then my mum became a single parent, but um, and then I had to basically care for her. I had to be the parent growing up. Um, I am one of six kids, but mum had an unfortunate history of uh, losing her first four children to a previous marriage. And my parents actually met in a mental institution. Right, wow. And that's where I was conceived when you do the maths. So I wouldn't have had the best start in life. Mm. And um, I was born to those parents to replace the four children that she lost in her first marriage because she was institutionalised. So she lost custody of her first lost, four children. Yeah, and they were scattered to the four winds yep. around Australia. So they were foster, put into the foster and the adoption system? Uh, no, family, family. family members. Yep. Um, but uh, the, two, the two youngest of the four, they were put into a children's home which they were in for two years, and it's mm. a horrible story. Mm. But, I mean, that's it's part of the mum's mum's story and part of my mm. my history. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't come from very good mental health stock, so put it that way. Mm. 
Mm. And that's continued throughout your life, that thing. It has, yeah, but I'm a rescuer. So from so I don't think I had a childhood. Okay. I don't remember one. So you mentioned earlier on um, before before we started recording that you remember being making phone calls to triple zero at the age of five. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, back then you rang the operator. Okay. Um, um, this is back in the dark ages because I'm nearly 50. So, okay. yeah, we're talking it's back in that, the 70s. It's not that old. <laughs> well, no, well, I'm feeling old. Yeah. Um, back in the 70s, um, you had we had community health centres in Western Australia where I grew up and um, you rang the operator, gave them um, a special number for the community health and then they, then the social worker, you were sort of triaged over the phone and they would send a social worker out. Mm. So it was quite progressive because uh, we lived in a community that was where they put single mothers um, in Lockridge in Western Australia. And um, so we, yeah, we had a community health centre with on-call social workers for that, for those issues, mm. yeah, for when families melted down. And where we lived mm. in the Housing Commission flats, um, we regularly had government officials coming through um, checking on the welfare of children. So... Really, it was, it was good. It was a safety net. But very early memories of, of mental health problems and yes. being exposed to the idea of mental health issues. Grown up themes as a five year from five years of age. Yeah. But I can I've got memories back to three and a half that my parents their dis, their, their dysfunction, so moving around mm. um, to avoid, um, well community scrutiny I think mm. um, I now know that mum used an alias for a couple of years my birth wasn't registered for the first two years because she was frightened of the the government taking taking me right because of what happened with the first children yeah so a real fear of being separated from her yes. children after the first four yeah and she never away. lost that fear it was always a government conspiracy mm. it was a theme through Mm. throughout my whole life with living with my mum. So thinking about your sort of like your schooling and how you went through school, how did you, how did you go with, with, with being separated from your mum to, 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 to attend school? Um, I attended a lot of primary schools, going to family friends, going to mum's um, sisters and, and brothers' houses as a, a young girl. So... Um, she had five siblings, so mum being um, the, where is she in the pecking order, mum was in the middle, she, so she was a middle child that mm. had the most mental health issues, but I now, knowing now that they, all of mum's siblings had uh, a level of mental health dysfunction. Mm. So that was hard. I just accepted it because mm. I didn't know any different. Mm. Didn't know any different. Yeah. And when do you think you started becoming a rescuer? From five years of age. So you've never stopped being never a stopped. rescuer? Never. Okay. Because also mum's friends, the people she mixed with, were also um, had extreme mental health issues. Um, and mum herself was a rescuer, whether it be animals, um, people. Mum was a hoarder. So stuff from the side of the road. Um, did I learn that from my mum? <laughs> you know, nature or nurture. Mm. But I think it's cellular because my, my nana was um, 
pretty bad, but I know her backstory now too, which was quite horrific. Mm. Um, it, it just, my family history is just, it's like a vicious circle. Mm. Very strong women, but the mental health issues have brought them undone. Mm. When you say undone, how did that sort of manifest? Um, they're resilient. I don't think they had the tools. I don't think they had the knowledge that we have today, even though there's some very ignorant people still about their own mental health and how to to deal with that in, in the 21st century. Mm. But my mum had very Victorian ideas about mental health, and as did her mum. Mm. Um, well, my, my grandmother's parent was a Victorian, you know, in the mm. Victorian era. So Literally a Victorian. Yeah, you kept it. You didn't tell anybody. You, yeah. it, was, it was shameful. Yeah. It, was, um, it was just something you just didn't talk about with people. Mm. It was hysteria. Yeah, very much so. Mm. And um, I was lucky I've had a lot of good um, mentors going through that system. So... I've, had, I've been able to work it to my advantage because I think I still had the same problems that my mum and my grandmother did. Mm. Um, both med- And going through my mental health journey, yes. my medical health has been the bigger issue probably causing the mental health issues. Yeah. Would you, would you share some of your, your mental and medical health problems with us? Well... I've got a lot of labels. Yeah. So it probably started out with um, the big eye-opener was the Hashimoto's diagnosis and then finding out my grandmother had a pituitary problem with her thyroid. Mm. Then my mother having Hashimoto's, but looking at all her diagnosis and she she was dying from the day she was born. Every time mm. you talk to my mum, it was like, oh, I'm dying. Like, well... Okay, let's let's break that down. I've been quite scientific where mum was very emotional. So mm. I have Hashimoto's, I have polycystic ovaries, I have um, what else have I got? I've got at the, now I have a heart condition. I have three types of tachycardia. Mm. So I've got a pacemaker now. Right. So but it comes from a connective tissue disorder. So some know it as Ehlers-Danlos hypermobility syndrome, some know it as benign joint hypermobility. So yep. it all depends what state and what geneticist you're talking to. Okay. So I know that my body doesn't um, metabolise properly because um, with the, you know, the polycystic ovaries and so that gives you insulin resistance. Mm. So there's so many medical conditions. And then we switch over to the mental health side. I was accidentally diagnosed as bipolar rapid cycling Accidentally. Accidentally. I spent, well, no offence to public psychiatrists, but I spent an hour with a public psychiatrist and he said, oh, that's what you are, go away. After one hour? After one hour. Right. Yep. So I went away back to my GP and I said, I don't think this is right. Can we look at this? Mm. Um, And she had had advised me not to go to the psychiatrist and she said, well, that's what you got for your money. Yeah. (laughs) And so then we, we started breaking it down and luckily she was an integrative doctor and we looked at, we, in, we came back with the theory that it's more than likely premenstrual dysphoric disorder, dysthymia. So I'm just, 
um, my level of depression is always there. I'm high functioning in the depression scale. Mm. So I can be really, really depressed, but what that I don't look like a um, typical depressed person, whatever the the, nor- the normal depressed person. I'm not sure there is a normal depressed person. Yeah, well, I'm atypical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm atypical. atypical. Yeah. Yeah. So I've tried to work away from labels because my mum had so many um, mental health labels and medical health labels. Mm. It didn't serve her well. Mm. Her error wasn't helpful for mental health tips. Mm. So, but luckily the people that she worked with, the social workers, were very um, future-driven about what mental health looked like and how, you know, the social changes back in the 70s. So I've been really lucky, mm. really lucky to learn from uh, women who who did know how to cope with good, what, what good mental health skills were. Yeah. Yeah. So taking them through, so, and I'm a bit scientific-based, so I like to see this, you know, to study what... Um, those techniques are, try them out, oh, that's not working for me, ditch that, go to the next So what sort of things have you tried in the past that haven't worked for you? Well, having also another label of generalised anxiety disorder or knowing in my adulthood that it's possibly autism spectrum as well um, makes me a little bit disassociative so I can stand back and see how you know that does what what works and what doesn't work for me as a po- and but I study other people mm. I go okay look at that person what's their best practice what are they doing well mm. I'll try that oh that is not really good you know that's mm. that's not going to work for me that works for that person mm. but that doesn't work so for what's me. an example of something that you've tried that's worked for somebody else but not hasn't worked for you meditation Okay. I am absolutely no good with meditation. I've been kicked out of bingo um, for <laughs> ADHD tendencies. Okay. Yeah, no good with med- meditation. Though mindfulness with my eyes open, I can do really well. Okay. What so, about guided meditation? No, no good. Not at all? Okay. No. Um, either my mind's too imagine. you know, I, I can imagine... In the guided meditation, what's happening? But then I'm, I'm already I'm chasing another shiny thing. Okay. Yeah. So they put me to sleep, so it loses its effectiveness. I'm not, um, I'm not in a meditative state. I'm either asleep, or I'm hyper vigilant. Yeah. Yeah, about what's happening okay. outside of that. Okay. Okay. So what does work for you in place of meditation? Um, I watch a lot of YouTube. Okay. Um, Dr. Pimple Popper, Blackhead Popper. Oh, it's really? disgusting. Yeah, I know, but it's really, it's really <laughs> relaxing because it's so gross that you're, I'm, I'm concentrating on it that it's so gross, but it's really interesting. So, it, um, it's hard to explain. It's yeah, yeah. You have to watch it to know. Yeah, you know, I, I no, I've seen one, and that was that was. Far more than enough for me. Yeah. Well, yeah. Lego animations with Ezzy oh, you know, Izzard. Oh, yeah, no, I can that do that. That is yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just find YouTube stuff that doesn't go for more than five minutes. Okay. So I'm a five-minute wonder. So is that more of a distraction yes. than, a, than, a, than a mindfulness? But it's a medita- meditative state for me. Okay. 
because I just become just focused on that. Mm. I'm really sorry about the dog. No, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, so you obviously need comforting so, today. Um, she literally hasn't left me since since we yeah. started. Um, and I'm just trying to sort of get it to sort of not not knock yeah, things. Yeah, and so I'm we trying to motion recording. over, but it's not working. No. Anyway, um, so <laughs> at the moment I do I'm doing uh, a 1,000 hearts project. So I sew little pieces of felt together, stuff it with wool stuffing. Yes. Um, put it in a little packet and then give it away. Right. So each one takes me about four minutes. Okay. So I can do that in small spurts. And um, that would be fairly meditative. It is. Because yes. each stitch, I've got to concentrate on the stitch. Um, I've, each stitch almost has a thought in it. So I, I do do it when I'm feeling the most anxious. Mm. So it just really grounds me. Do you, um, do you put pins on the backs of them or anything like that so people can wear them as brooches? I can do that if somebody yeah. asked me to do that. But mostly okay. I, just, I just give them away. I've got one for you at the end. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do, you have uh, a whole, do you have a whole pile of them so yeah, we can I take do. a picky of them? I nice. do. I take them everywhere. I've got a suit. My mother-in-law's father's old mason case, which I got from her hoard, um, I, it's my mobile heart workshop. Nice. Yeah. So I do Mo mobile heart workshop. It is not an art workshop. A no, it's heart a heart workshop. workshop. Oh, how wonderful! Yeah, I was just at the cafe at my daughter's school this morning, sewing hearts, listening to people's problems. Okay. Um, Who listens to your problems, Dawn? I do. My psychologist retired over a year and a half ago, um, yeah. so, and I haven't replaced her. Yeah. Uh, but I find um, so I haven't had anybody to talk to. So you're the first one. In about a year and a half. Wow, I feel very honoured. Thank you yeah. for choosing me. Well, this me. is it's kind of an interview too because I want to come and use your counselling services because I've been stalking you on Facebook. <laughs> yes, she has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, for me, if I go to counselling or psych, and I haven't done psychotherapy per se, but I have done cognitive behaviour therapy, mm. but it wasn't the right person to do it with. How did, how did um, cognitive behaviour therapy, or CBT as it's known, how did that work for you? It, it didn't. I tried to work the process. I, I studied, you know, I went away to the library, found out all the information um, mm. so that I, you know, I was had the uh, skills to undertake it because that's one of my issues. I've got to know what I'm doing. Mm. Um so you're the person delivering it, yeah, yeah no, so she was only a counsellor. Right. So she so wasn't she a psychologist. Wasn't, so she wasn't actually, she wasn't fully trained in cognitive behaviour no, therapy. No, I know a lot more now. Yeah. Um, so it was very difficult for her because I didn't follow her script. I was working out of a textbook how to be a recipient of CBT, but she didn't deliver it to me in a way that it worked for me. So, yeah. Um, so I had to exclude myself from that therapy and I, you know, I come from child abuse. I come from emotional abuse in my family. Mm. So, so you also have a history of trauma oh, hell yeah. on, on, on top of all of the supporting and being a carer from the age of five and yeah. being an adult very, yeah. very much younger. You also have trauma layered on top of that as well. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Mum's partners, um, next door neighbours. I, I didn't know any better what I didn't know what sexual abuse was until my early teens. Right. Until wow. somebody said, um, you know, gave me a, a, a book description of what sexual abuse was. And I went, oh my God, that's me. 
Mm. But still not knowing the, the shame because I did talk to my mum once and she told me I was a liar. It never happened. So, okay, compartmentalise it, move on. Yeah. Um, promiscuous teen uh, but didn't know that that's not um, how relationships work. Mm. So I've been quite submissive in my life. Mm. You know, my first husband was an alcoholic wife beater. Mm. So I am on my second marriage but third partnership. Mm. Um, so high school was atrocious again and being in a spectrum I watch people to see how they behave in a social mm. atmosphere and then I try to replicate that so mm. sometimes I watch stuff and it's not the best practice for humans I practice that and go right no that's definitely I shouldn't be doing that because someone will say to me hey Dawn why are you behaving that way Oh, because such and such was doing it. So not best practice for humans. What do you mean? Had you been watching other interactions as well? Yeah, I, I watch people for social cues. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's the. It, I, I'm interested in the in the not best practice for humans. So had you also been watching, say, we're talking drug use, alcoholism. Right. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, okay. Alternative sexual practices. You know, they work. They work for some people. Yeah. Oh well, I not used to everyone. go to strip clubs just to watch. Um, because I, you know, difference between romance and sex and I've always been trying to work all that out. Yeah. So, and it hasn't quite worked for me. Mm. And I'm either looking in the wrong places, looking at, you know, I, I'm, I get fascinated yes. by stuff. So, yeah. and then EDMR, you know, you're... Um, EMDR. You're EMDR, I get yeah. the acronym around yeah. the wrong way. Um What's the long version of that? Because I didn't know. I knew you it. were going to ask me that. Yeah. Eye movement desensitization. Yeah. Something. I can't remember what the R stands for. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's essentially, that didn't work for me either because the person delivering it, again, he was a psychologist, he was very trained in it, but his, he ended up telling me more about his life. And what was going wrong in his life. So I'm thinking about that. He's trying to deliver this very essential piece of therapy and I yeah. can't concentrate on it. Yeah. And he can't hypnotise me to. Um, so lots of self, he was he was disclosing a lot about himself. Yeah, really inappropriately. Okay. So I ended up having to end that. So I didn't go back to that. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it was for me anyway. Mm. Um then, which is a shame because um, EMDR has 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 proven to be a very effective technique for trauma. Yeah, for trauma clients. Yeah, I unfortunately have disassociative issues. I don't have disassociative identity disorder. I've met people with that because yes. I had to look at when somebody said, uh, "You know, a," because this was also brought up by the psychiatrist. Mm. Um, but he just poo pooed it. Yeah. But my disassociation is more my spectrum. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so having met people with disassociative identity disorder, everything, all my different aspects of my personality are all dawn. It's just different, you know, it's like an extroverted introvert. I don't drink because I become a very extroverted person. Okay. So, but I'm totally aware of what I'm doing. So yeah. alcohol just brings down my 
my defence is like anything. Yes. Um, More so than it would do for other people? Yes. Because alcohol it's is extreme. a desensitizer. Okay. It, it is an extreme for me. Yeah. But so for you, you actually really do have a really extreme reaction yes. to any of those sorts yeah. of... Yeah. It's like times 10. Right, wow. Um, yeah, I get more hyperactive. Um, it doesn't slow me down. It's the yeah. same with I tried marijuana once with my eldest brother who's now, uh, he died um, from heroin overdose, or essentially. Oh, sorry to hear that. Um, I tried marijuana and I actually got very um, chest pokey and very argumentative and so Russell basically said to me, no, don't even bother. No, there's no future in marijuana for you. So Russell's your older brother. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And how long ago did you lose your older brother? Ninety-seven. Yeah, okay. nineteen ninety-seven. Um, yeah. Essentially, though, you know, it's dispute. He was a drug informant, but he was bumped off, for want of a better word. But on his death certificate, which took three years and uh, a colonial inquiry that he asphyxiated on a piece of chocolate. He was a quadriplegic at the time. So it's plausible, but there's a ba there's another backstory, another reason why my mum was had a lot of mental health issues mm. supporting him. Yeah. Um, oh, look, my friends keep telling me there's a book in it, but I no one would believe my life if I wrote it down. I think that's probably why you... you I think it would... I, I'm hearing that writing that writing some of the stuff down would really help you get some of it straight so that you don't have to disassociate quite so much from some of it. Yeah, because I can't, I don't, I'm not able to put aside all the memories. They're all there. Yeah. But they don't have a lot of emotion in them because mm. I've dissociated from them. Yeah. So, but I, I, they're in my mind all the time. Do you, do you journal? I've attempted to journal, but again, it's that ADHD thing of being able to maintain the the concentration to continue that practice. And I have a girlfriend in WA who is a life coach and who, who nags me about journaling. I actually have a writing desk in, sitting in my room. Right. I've got, I buy the journals. I've got all the nice pens. I've got all the, um, I've looked at the textbooks, how to do it. But doing <laughs> it is another. Textbooks. Yeah. I'll. <laughs> Yeah. I, I go to the library. It's like somebody shows me a new skill. I go to the library and look it up. Okay, I can do that. Or yeah. look it up on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. So if I see somebody doing it. But Maureen does instruct me a little bit on I should be doing this and she shows me and she's very good at it. Yeah. Um, we both met at a special arts um, high school mm. and she's very artistic. I'm artistic in a controlled way. Mm. So, Yeah. The concept, I understand the concept, but doing it's another, the practice of mm. actually sitting down and doing it. I've attempted it. I have many failed attempts, but it's like um, Thomas Edison. I think he did the light bulb. Mm, he did. Um, 1,500 times he tried. I don't know the exact number and, you know, the 1,501 time it, it worked for him. Exactly. Yeah, well, that's a bit like me. And he'll forever I, go down in history as the light bulb guy. Yes. <laughs> and I understand the concept and I I. But actually getting me to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I orbit a lot around things yeah. until I feel comfortable. Because it's it, it's still, I intrinsically have a history of shame about mental health. Mm. And to write it down, to put it onto paper, would mean that it's there forever. Mm. 
So I tend to write, start writing stuff and then burn it. Right. So you, you write it, you get yeah, it out. A, there's a part of me that still feels cleanse it. too much shame to mm. have it written down. Though I do read a lot of autobiographies of other people who have done that. And you're also taking part in this podcast. Yes. Which is, you know, sharing with a lot of people. Yeah, and I, I do feel a bit disjointed in, 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 in yeah. talking about it because there's so much because where do you start? Mm. Where do you start? Oh, I'm definitely hearing that there's a lot going on for you. Yeah. So right at the beginning of this, you said that you were a rescuer. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering I was who... out rescuing this morning. You were out rescuing this morning. What was happening this morning? Um, at my daughter's special needs school, we have special needs parents as well. And if they have a crisis, I'm the person that will sit down and just effectively listen. Okay. Sewing my heart's. Yeah. Because I don't want to take, um, you know, I have that empathy times 10 for people and their personal situations, yep. which actually helps me just absolutely ignore mine. Mm. So sitting there listening, I rescue people. Um, I'm always, I'm always rescuing. Who rescues you, Dawn? Me. I can rely yeah. on me to rescue me. Yeah. I don't have a wise owl. No. Yeah. Do you have people in your sphere who would like to fill that role but they haven't been allowed to? Um, that's a good question. Mm. The ladies I sat down with today, um, they, they have, they're older than me and they do have that capacity but I always end up rescuing them. Hmm. How well, does... I'm not rescuing them. I, I end up having to put my troubles aside for other people. These two ladies accepted. That's a sort of an inner circle. And these and Ali and, and Lynn, because they'll probably hear this podcast, hmm. they are exceptional beings hmm. and I learn from them. I, I guess I learn from other people with what problems they have that mine aren't so great. Hmm. Um, as I or as problematic as I thought they were, mm. so I, I think that's why I do it mm. to well to see how the other half lives. Yeah, because sometimes we when we have this sort of persona of being a rescuer and a carer, we can find it very difficult to let ourselves be rescued and cared for. Yeah, absolutely. And it's actually it's actually a lot easier to focus on everybody else's stuff than it is on our own. Yeah, and that's one of my problems. Yeah. So you acknowledge that you do that? Oh, yeah. 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 So Lynn and... And Ali. And Ali. Lynn and Ali. I'm wondering if you were to say to them, I'd really like to have a chat with you, how they might feel that about they do you listen. opening up. They do listen, but I don't open up to them. Okay. Yeah. They're big talkers. They, they, they can talk about, they talk about their life like you wouldn't believe. So they're open books? Yes, very much so. Yeah. Two wonderful women and, um, and I hang out with them to learn from them. Mm. But all my friends, well, most of my friends have ever been in their 80s uh, when I lived in Naruma down the south coast. Yeah. Um, my best, best friend was 83 and I'm in my 30s. Yeah. Um, before her, 
Um, when I'm in Walgett, my best friend was, she was probably in her late 70s then and I would have been in my early What's, What stops 20s. you from making connections with people of a similar age? Good question. I don't know. Maybe because I'm looking for a mother figure because my mm. I was a parent to my own mother. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's certainly a possibility. Oh, I know it is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's what it so is. So it's something you need to work through. Yeah. Well, Lynn and, and Ellie are closer to my age. <laughs> <laughs> Big shout out, I think, to Lynn and Ellie. They are. They, they're absolutely remarkable ladies. And yeah. I, well, I don't know if they're – I'm in a rescuing um, situation, but I think they rescue me as well. Mm. Yeah. I'm 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 sort of hearing from you that you've got this real sense of identity and pride about being a rescuer. Yes. Empathy, kindness and love. You know, I have a lot of love for humans and I like mm. to find out people's backstories, why they are what like they are. Yeah. Um to try and under, I like to try and understand people. Because mm. it helps me to understand myself. Mm. Okay. Okay. You, you do a lot for other people. What do you do for you apart from making hearts? But that's, um, that's even for other people, really. I sit really. in the shower. You sit in the shower. Yeah, I buy Nutramedics and use it in the shower. Okay. Know, wash very expensive cosmetics down the, yeah. down the drain. Um, I have been attempting to try and learn how to play the keyboard. Okay. You know, yes. Because I don't want to have dementia because I've just come out of a long-term caring role for my mother-in-law with her dementia to end mm. of life. So I want to learn how to do music. Um, I think I've come out of a major depression over a lot of years for caring for ageing parents because my mother and my mother passed away mm. um, nearly three years ago, then my father-in-law four years ago, and I was with him when he took his last breath. My mm. mother um, decided to die before I got to her, but she was in Western Australia. Yes. She died in care, but we had a um, very precarious relationship at best of times, but I always kept tabs tabs on her. Mm. Went home to Western Australia once a year, whether I needed to or not, mm. connect with the rest of my family. Mm. Um, and your mother-in-law? My mother-in-law, well? we brought her to Canberra so I could care for her, yes. but I didn't have her in the house. She would... She was just at a local nursing home, so I was there every day. So that was four years of my life. So I, I can see that there was a that there's probably been a long term depressive state, but high functioning still. Mm. So I'm I'm on the other side of that now. But is that because you had to be? Yes. Yep. Well, the failure of my marriage. Uh, then I have a special needs daughter. Then I've. Also recovered from a son, having my son having anorexia and self-harm in his early teens and getting him through high school and and my eldest daughter having bipolar, being diagnosed as bipolar but having two psychotic episodes and, and through drugs, mm. taking drugs. Mm. Um, so your daughter, eldest daughter was self-medicating? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Doing a uni degree. Mm. She's still trying to complete that uni degree. She's still trying to get her life um, on the rails but... And she's trying to do that without my support. Um, kudos to her, though um, we're, we're estranged essentially. Mm. So, and 
and the the relationships are sort of mirroring um, what happened with my mother, mm. except the reverse. You know, my mother had the bipolar, and my eldest daughter has the bipolar. So, mm. um, and she's not caring for you. No. Yeah. No. No, no, <laughs> no. We, but we, but we've digressed away from. I love her dearly. From, I yes. love her dearly. Yes, we've digressed away from the self care. Yes, because it's one of my tactics. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of your tactics. Yeah, yeah. Self care. Um, I want to be more um, artistic, and I do have a craft room. Mm. But at the moment, I've, I guess I've been struggling with hoarding, and uh, that I have the hoarding gene. Yes. So when you have high-functioning depression, you, you can hoard. Mm. I am a collector mm. and I get it from my mother and um, my, the co-parent or my ex-husband, mm. uh, he has the gene. His mother was a hoarder. But my, I think my mother's hoarding um, bore out of a high-functioning depression and I think my mother-in-law's as well. Mm. So I'm trying to get past that. Mm. So that's been, you know, I watch a lot of YouTube hoarding. Okay. I watch a lot of YouTube hoarding mm. programs to see what really bad hoarding looks like, not to, to justify what I'm doing but to say, hey, Dawn, this is where you can end up. Yes. Because I had to unpack my mother's hoard. So being more artistic is what I want to be. Yeah. But... Your house does not, your, ha- your home does not come across as the home of a hoarder. You have lots of clear pathways. You have, you have things very neatly. Oh, I'm battling presented. the hoarders in my ha- the hoarder in the yeah. house. It's, it's a yeah. constant battle for me because I want to bring things in mm. and then I've got to say, hey, Dawn. Something has to go out. Something has to go out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so it is something that you're constantly working on. Yes, yeah, because I don't want to be my mother. Yes. Uh, It took me three weeks to unpack her house. So so self-care is um, what other self-care things do I do? So I hate cooking, but I'll bake a banana cake. So taking the another mindfulness activity. So I've got Mm. to constantly engage in mindfulness um, activities to... To, to do self-care. Yeah. It, and that's a generalised anxiety disorder. Then it's the spectrum of not being good enough mm. um, to give myself self-care. So You said you hate cooking and you hate baking, but yeah. you bake to do mm. self-care. How does that work? Um, I really enjoy a good banana cake. Okay. <laughs> so, so I have one recipe I do, re- I do to death. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's the end result. It's being able to sit down with that. Um, banana cake I've mindfully made it I've taken the time um, so I'm, it means I'm not rushing off to do other things for other people I'm actually focusing on that one focusing on that one thing and okay. I'm doing it because I really like banana cake yeah so yeah I'm not a cook so baking as a general rule doesn't bring me self-care mm. but cooking this particular banana cake does, does. <laughs> yeah um does. So I'm always battling that anxiety around not wanting to be a hoarder and it's like a self-fulfilled prophecy. Mm. So then, but my shameful secret is my sewing room at the moment. And, and slowly we're always, as a, as a mother of a young family who are now 
teen adults, I'm now trying to do unpacking that hoard for the next 10 years. So I, I have that peace of mind. I'm not always moving a pile of kids' clothes or kids' toys or adult, you know, young adults. My teenage adult son still lives with us. He's 19, he turns 20 in November. Right. So he's still living with us. So I'm still a mother per se and I've still got my 17-year-old um, intellectually disabled daughter living with us. So I'm still looking after people. I'm still caring. And I've got to try and change that to caring for myself more. Mm. Since my um, cardiac episode in February, I'm doing a lot better. Because so if I don't, really I will die. That. Yeah. Literally. Yes. I have a broken heart from stress, from caring. Mm. So From a lifetime of it. Yeah, my cortisol. I've never I don't think I've ever been able to get my cortisol levels down, talking about it with my GP, that they've always been above my head. There's no way I could ever get them down because mm. it would like you'd have to go postal. Mm. You know, who do you shoot first? Yeah. Yeah, who do you get rid of? Yeah. So I take it you're all for gun control. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, though we, we like guns in this house. Yeah, but as a as a you know, as a somebody who has grown up with all that history, with all that trauma, with all that caring and that responsibility from such a young age, it, it's little wonder yeah. that you've got to where you are actually in, in such a good place. Yeah, and that's with this disassociation has served me well. For a lot of people mm. it doesn't, but it's mm. really served me well. I can stand back mm. and go, right, this is not working. Mm. Um and I can I can almost see myself doing um, having destructive behaviour. Yes. And go right. Okay. I I, I identify this as um, not self care. Right. Go and see somebody. This is not working. This is not working for you, Dawn. Mm. Yeah. So mm. my poor GP is long suffering now. Um, he doesn't know why I'm not in a locked mental health unit. Um, He's actually said that to you. Yes, he has. Yes, right. he also also said to me once, go and sit in the sun and get some vitamin D. That'll sort your problems out. But he now knows better not to say that to me because I went to, that's what the reason why I went to the psychologist, got her to tell him that that's not helpful. <laughs> that And that's how we discovered that I had a bad heart because he mm. kept telling me it's, you know, reduce your stress levels. Well, my sinus node is no good. So... Right. Stress doesn't help it. I don't. Stress having, didn't kill my heart. But having having elevated cortisol, having elevated adrenaline, which you would almost certainly have yep. as well. Generalised anxiety. General, these things do actually are long term cause physical problems. Yes. Um, and no research has shown us that that we can't live with high levels of anxiety. No, we and can't. I'm a good cortisol. example. Yeah. Without it having some kind of effect, whether it's on our heart or our kidneys or our lungs or whatever, mm. it eventually it has an impact. Yeah, to mm. the point where I now can't work mm. because of it. I'm a free-range chicken now. I'm yeah. disabled. Yeah. Um, I have complex, you know, another, another label. There's just so many labels, complex PTSD. You know, we mm. could talk all day about that. Um, it, it, it's so... I'm just lucky I can stand back and say, well, that's not working. How do other humans do this? How do, how do mm. they cope? Mm. So I guess I have the, um, oh, there's a big word for it. I can't think of the word. It's one of the problems 
I, you know, I have an auditory processing issue as well with along with ADHD that mm. I don't test well on paper, but I have a very high IQ. Mm. I can orally do tests, but I can't. I can't sit in a can't an exam. Yeah. Mm. So I do go to the library and read a lot. Yeah. And um, learning, you know, so many self help books on mental health that I do get overwhelmed. What What is the best practice? Mm. So, you know, talking about carer's grief and um, how to recover from that is what I'm working on at the moment mm. for myself. Yeah, because you have experienced a lot of loss oh, over the last so few much. years. Well, I worked with mum, well, with Shirley, my mother-in-law, I worked in the nursing home as a volunteer doing diversional therapy. Mm. Um, and then so I not only experienced her loss, I experienced no less than 27 other residents who passed in that time I was there. Wow. So and I, I and I couldn't understand why Palliative Care Australia didn't want me on their books as a volunteer for twelve months, but I, I understand that now because I went away. And went, oh, okay, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. And then having your own personal grief, which is I lost my best friend. Shirley was my best friend. Mm. So working through that, you know, every time I see an elderly person, I start crying. I, I couldn't figure out why. It's like I was grieving their impending death. Mm. Wow. So I've been working walking around like that for the last few months. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty bad when you see a grown woman crying in the middle of civic and people don't know why. It's like yeah. I've seen an old person. Yeah. So there's a I've lot seen an of old person And I've anticipated that they're going to die at some point in the future. And I'm really sad about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, a, and, and another acquaintance of mine sort of said, hey, do you think this is a problem? You shouldn't really be around old people for a while. So don't go back to the nursing home. Mm. So, okay. Yep, I get it. So it. you've given yourself a bit of a break from yeah, the nursing Yeah, 12 months. Home. I'll take the months. Palliative Care Australia approach um, because I do want to become a volunteer for them. Because I Have you have you thought about, because uh, you do enjoy learning so much, Yeah. have you thought about doing sort of like a, um, like a death doula course or something well, like I've that? Well, I've just found a death doula on Facebook that yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm connecting with. Yeah, so the, re- the reason is because they actually teach you how to disassociate in a practical way, right. yeah. in a far more controlled way. Well, I have I have a rapport with dead bodies. I, I, I can sit with a dead body um, better than I can sit with a live person. Right. So I have I found with doing the end of life for um, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law that... I have those qualities to be able to sit with a person dying. Mm. So yeah, you bring up a good point. It's something that I've been looking at, you know, mm. or do I go f- and work for white lady funerals? So, But I think I'm good up to the point they, they die and then the process of removing the body from that from that area yeah. So uh, as opposed to burying them the other yes. side. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have been through, you have been through, an awful lot in your life. Mm. Um, as you say, you know, if you were to write it down, nobody would believe that somebody could be through so much yep. and survive. But, I mean, there's many books out there where people, that their stories are so incredible. Yeah, and absolutely. I get absolutely. But I, I don't think anybody would want to hear my story. <laughs> oh. So here's your opportunity, <laughs> listeners. Do you want to hear more of Dawn's story? Um, if we can't get her to write a book, maybe we'll have another podcast with her. Yeah. So... You know, you you have got an awful lot to say. Um, We are coming to the end of our time together today. 
you do have you do have a lot to say and I think you've got a lot to give. But I also think you need to I'm hearing that you need to give a bit more to yourself. Yes. Yeah. And you've acknowledged that. Yes. As well. Absolutely. Especially around your physical health with your heart, really sort of taking yeah. care of And when I isolate myself a lot, part of today was to put myself out there to say um, to make that process because I isolate myself. I ha- I enjoy my company so much mm. that I take myself away from other humans. Yeah. Um, I've been hanging in there doing that stuff. Yeah. Um, but meeting you in person, I know that I'll be able to go forward with your counselling service because I feel mm. very, even though I've got a high state of, and I can feel my cortisol levels up near the ceiling because yeah. of the stress of doing this. Mm but I think it's a good thing for me. I've got to challenge and dare myself to do stuff, to get yes. stuff done. But that's is, is that part of your depression that, that, yes. that gets you to isolate and, yep. and sort of put yourself in a position where you don't have to deal with people and things? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, because hmm. I end up, because most of the time I end up rescuing them. Hmm. So There is this drive, you know, this has been a theme all the way through yes. today. This desire to rescue, rescue, rescue. And I've got to rescue myself. But other people, you've also got to let other people in to rescue you as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not good at it. No. I'm not good at it. So that's the, you know, that's a... That's a learning that we can, you know, we can all we can all take that as a learning. You know, even myself, I'm a counsellor, so I have this... I'm I'm very good at caring for other people, not so great at caring for myself. I'm the first to admit that. I practice your self-care Sundays. Oh, do you? <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm, look, I take all your advice. I've, <laughs> I've found your counselling Facebook page to be the best one I've come across, right. the most practical, yeah. the easiest to understand and to then put into practice. Yeah. So on, on my Facebook page, I do do self-care Sundays. I haven't been doing them quite so much lately because nobody watched them. I do. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> I'd do a, I, I would do a live video and I'd sort of like be there and I'd, there'd be like no no numbers up in the corner. So I'm like, oh, nobody's watching it, so why bother? Um, yeah. <laughs> so no, maybe I'll start doing those again then, just sort of, Yeah, you know, I, I don't often get to do the live ones, but I do yeah. watch it up yeah. post-live. Yeah. So I am, um, yeah, I must admit I do um, Sundays, actually the weekends generally are very, um, very self-care orientated for myself because I can see up to 18 clients in a week um, and some weeks are bigger than others. And sometimes I do just need to go to the movies and not, you know, check my brain at the door. I went yeah. and saw the perfect movie for that actually last weekend. I went and saw Hobbs and Shaw, which is a Fast and Furious movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, it wouldn't be up my. It is the. Don't get to it's, the movies. Up. It's so wonderfully ridiculous that virtually no brain activity is required throughout the entire two-hour length of it. See, that's but what it's I need. Just that's what such I need. A rollicking good ride of daftness that I came out of it completely elated because it was just. It complete escapism. So I love going to the movies for precisely that. And I enjoy escapism. Mm. And then mm. I become a little bit obsessive about the movie theme and then I'll go away and look all the history of it up because I'm also a history buffer yeah. behind uh, movie concepts. N- there's, so. there's no history behind, behind that one. <laughs> 
there's nothing. There's nothing. It's yeah. just a really good ride, literally, because it's all about cars. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's about knowing when to stop with that as well. So when you go and see something, allow yourself a because I'm I'm also guilty of that to a degree. Um, it's about saying I am only allowed to do research on this topic for this much time. I've got to do that a lot. Yeah, and I know I have to do it because mm. I can fall. I can, and I think I think quite a lot of us are guilty of this, falling down that rabbit hole in the internet. Yes. Of, you know, I'll just look at this video and then it leads into this video and then it leads into this video and then it, then suddenly you've gone and you've Three killed. hours, four hours. Gone. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's really very much about you you having that self-discipline to look after yourself to say, I need to stop now. Yep. And And that was one of the reasons having you here today to do this podcast was... Yeah, giving me that opportunity to to say out loud mm. and to make a commitment to self care. Mm. Fantastic. Mm. So I really like to thank you. But just before we close, I like to ask all my guests, what does the future look like for you right now? Um, I'm working on one day at a time. So the future for me is to do self care better. Is to find. Um, a happy place for my type of humanism, I mm. guess, um, and to be uh, just just to be enough. Mm. Yeah, I'm working towards just being enough. Mm. Enough for who? For me. Mm. Yeah, not yeah. for anybody else. Yeah, just focusing on you for yeah. now. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Dawn, for agreeing to talk to me and sharing some of your secrets today. It's been an absolute ride. I'd like to thank Dawn for sharing her secrets with us today. And thanks to Nick, my podcast guy and sound guru, who's going to fix this because we did have a couple of issues there along the way. Thank you to you, the listener, for listening, subscribing and rating us. If you have a secret to share and you'd like to share it with us, I'd love to hear from you via our my website, secretkeepercounselling.com.au. Until next time, stay well. Thank you for listening to Secrets We Share. If you're interested in sharing some of your secrets, please visit our website at secretkeepercounseling.com.au. Keep an ear out for our next episode soon.